Hey, welcome to Otakada Podcast, uh, featuring today the School of the Holy Spirit Part 2. And uh, we're addressing the issue of baptism in the Holy Spirit and activation prayers, plus is speaking in tongues biblical or not? And 10 things to know about speaking in tongues. It's a, it's a long series, so um, I encourage you to, uh, to be attentive and apply whatever necessary so especially in the area of activation but uh, we need to lay some foundation work today is march 11 2020 and um, let us pray uh, that's series 13 of 52 march 11 20 part 2 of the school of the holy spirit training now let's pray i heavenly father i just want to thank you for a time such as this thank you for the privilege of uh, sharing your word uh, with me and with uh, the listeners on the podcast. I thank you, Lord God Almighty, for your presence in our lives. I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that's living and active in us. I ask you, Spirit of the living God, that you would do awesome things today as listeners listen to this. And I pray, oh God, that you sanctify me, spirit, soul, and body. Sanctify them, spirit, soul, and body that it will be able to uh, accept this spirit to spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, that it will be, uh, it will be uh, profit to them in their bodies and in the actions that they take towards enhancing and expanding the kingdom and that it will be edified by them. Thank you for answer prayer. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. So I welcome you again to a uh, uh, series on equipping Christians in the marketplace. At Atakada, we bring you over 2 million content uh, for all round success for your spirit, your soul, and your body. So if you missed uh, series 12 or 52, which was part one, where we did the introduction to the School of the Spirit, please go to our website. You would have all those contents there. It's important that you build, we build on foundations uh, before we move into more meats within the world. And if you missed our Sunday post on top 60 questions and answers about salvation, uh, the plan of salvation, you can also go to our site on otakada.org. Otakada spells as O-T-A-K-A-D-A dot O-R-G. Okay, so today's series is for you if you answer yes to any of the following questions. The first one is, are you unable to witness to others about Jesus? Do you sense you have no rest within your spirit? Have you lost the joy of salvation and you are no longer motivated to serve beyond monetary or self-seeking motives? You are not sure of this uh, specific gift for you or what specific purpose God has for your life? Um, you can read uh, references, references there in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. Uh, Romans chapter 14, uh, verse 17. And the second question, uh, the first question, we actually bundled uh, quite a number, of, uh, a number of questions there. This is, we're exploring again, the baptism in the Holy Spirit and activation prayers. Plus, is speaking in tongues biblical or not? With 10 things to know about speaking in tongues. So the second question uh, if you have a yes to this, is that this series uh, will be uh, is of importance. This series is for you. 
if you have this uh, if you have yes to this question have you lost motivation and enthusiasm in studying meditating and applying god's word to your life daily um you could read joshua chapter 1 isaiah 40 uh 30 32 ephesians 4 22 24 and romans 12 verse 2 do you the third question is uh do you regularly worship and fellowship with other believers but have no alone time or secret place communion fellowship or dialogue with the holy spirit you can read mark chapter 1 verse 35 uh matthew chapter 14 verse 23 psalm 91 verse 1 and matthew 6 6 uh, sorry and john Matthew 6, 6, and John 15, verse 7. The fourth question, if you say yes to this, means you need this uh, content. Have you been baptized in water? But can't recall asking the Holy Spirit to infill you so that you can know him and serve him better. Uh, you could check those up in Luke chapter 11, verse 11 to 13, Acts 1, 4 to 8, Acts 8, 12 to 17, Acts 10, 44 to 46, and Acts 11, 15 to 16, and finally, Ephesians 5, 18. So, there's absolutely nothing that provides all-round motivation, both in the spiritual life and in marketplace life, like the presence, power, and infilling of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. Also, in this series, have all your questions on the Holy Spirit answered, via um, the, our website at otakada.org so there's so many questions people have we've pulled those up uh, for you you also uh, be able to see a video uh, that we have in there uh, done by Archbishop uh, of Canterbury uh, Justin Wilber that's on this question of the secret place uh, it's a three minutes video from Justin Wilby. he speaks about his personal prayer practice of speaking in tongues Receiving words of knowledge and prophecy and why charismatic shouldn't be a tribal label since every Christian has the spirit. You could get the, the full 32 minutes video also on Otakada from Justin Wilby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, speaking about evangelism and prayer initiative in thy kingdom, speaking in tongues, Brexit, politics, being the leader of an Anglican church and how he deals with controversy surrounding LGBT issues. So let's uh, begin the 10 things to know about speaking in tongues. Now the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues remains controversial in our day and it's a subject deserving of our close attention. This short article is not designed to argue that tongues are still valid but simply attempt to describe the nature and function of tongue speech. So number one out of the 10, one of 10. The tongues spoken on the day of Pentecost were real human languages. The variety of nations represented in Acts chapter 2, verse 8 to 11, will certainly confirm this. The word language in Acts uh, in verse 6 and 8, dialecto, uh, so some insist that the tongues in Acts 2 were not human tongues. Acts to describes not the hearing of one's own language, but the hearing in one's own language. At the same moment that other tongues were spoken through the Holy Spirit, they were immediately translated by the same Holy Spirit into many languages of the multitude. Thus, there is both a miracle of speech, other 
different spiritual tongues and a miracle of understanding each facilitated by the Holy Spirit. So a miraculous charisma of the Holy Spirit, namely the gift of interpretation, was given to every unbeliever present on the day of Pentecost. But it is Luke's purpose to associate the descent of the Spirit with Spirit's activity among believers, not to postulate a miracle of the Spirit among those who were still unbelievers. Okay. Uh, the second uh, item is the gift of speaking in tongues can include heavenly dialects. Heavenly dialects. The gift of speaking in tongues that continues throughout church history and is so wise, widespread today is a spirit-prompted ability to pray and praise God in a heavenly dialect, possibly even an angelic language that is not related to anything spoken on earth such as German or Swahili or Mandarin or English. The Holy Spirit personally crafts or creates a special and unique language that enables a Christian to speak to God in prayer, praise and thanksgiving. This gift is not a human language that one might encounter in some foreign country, but a spirit-empowered capacity to speak meaningful words that are only understood by our true God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Unless, of course, God provides the interpretation through the one speaking or through another believer. Number three, on uh, 10 things to know about speaking in tongues. Number three is, there is no evidence that tongue speech in Acts 2 or elsewhere served an evangelistic purpose. The content of tongue speech was the mighty deeds of God, Acts chapter 2, 11, and chapter 10, 46, and chapter 19, verse 17. People don't hear an evangelistic message by doxology or worship. So again, how can tongues be evangelistic when the only two occurrences of tongues outside of Acts 2 and Acts 10 and 19 took place when only believers were present? Neither is tongues the invariable sign of spirit baptism or spirit feeling. These are numerous instances in Acts uh, of true conversion and spirit baptism where no tongues were mentioned. If you go into uh, Acts 2, 37, 42, Acts 8, 26 to 40, Acts 9, 9 uh, verses 1 to 19, Acts 13, 44 to 52, Acts 16, 11 to 15, Acts 16, 25, 32, Acts 17, 1 to 10a, Acts 17, 10 to 15, Acts 17, 16 to 33, Acts 18, 1 to 18, Acts 18, 24 to 28. So, number four. On 10 things to know about speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is prayer, praise, and self-edification. Paul says that, the one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men but to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. This means that tongues is a form of prayer. See, especially 1 Corinthians 14, 14. Tongues is also a form of praise and a way in which we give thanks to God. 1 Corinthians 14, 16 to 17. Tongues is also a way in which we edify or strengthen ourselves. Paul writes, the one who speaks in tongues builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. 1 Corinthians 14.4 Self-edification is a good thing, as we are commanded edify ourselves in Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Self-edification is only bad if it is done as an end in itself. It is good to take 
whatever steps you can to edify yourself, to build up and strengthen your soul so that you might be better able and equipped to build up others. That is 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Another item, out of the 10 items, number 5 now, 10 things to know about speaking in tongues. Number 5 is interpreted tongues edify others in the same way prophecy does. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. 1 Corinthians 14, 5. Prophecy is to be preferred over uninterpreted tongues in the corporate gathering of the church because it is intelligible and thus can serve better than unintelligible tongues speech to build up, edify, and encourage the people of God. But these options obtains only in the absence of an interpretation for tongues. If someone interprets, as in 1 Corinthians 14, 5b, then tongues can also serve to strengthen and instruct God's people. Ten things to know about tongues. Number six, tongues are a sign for unbelievers. What does Paul mean in 1 Corinthians 14, 21-25? That tongues are a sign for unbelievers. In 1 Corinthians 14.21, Paul quotes Isaiah 28.11, the meaning of which is found in prayer warning of God to Israel in Deuteronomy 28.49. If Israel violates the covenant and God, God will chastise them by sending a foreign enemy, speaking a foreign language, thus confusing and confounding speech was a sign of God's judgment against the rebellious people. This is a judgment that Isaiah says has come upon Israel in the 8th century BC when the Assyrians invaded and conquered the Jews. Also, uh, what happened in 6th C, uh, BC, that is uh, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 15. The principle is this. That's number six. Tongues are signed for unbelievers. The principle is this. When God speaks to people in a language they cannot understand, it is a form of punishment for unbelief. It signifies his anger. Incomprehensible speech will not guide or instruct or lead to faith and repentance, but only confuse and destroy. Thus, if outsider or unbelievers come in and you speak in a language they cannot understand, you will simply drive them away. You will be given a sign to unbelievers that is entirely wrong because their hardness of heart has not reached the point where they deserve that severe signs of judgment. So when you come together, 1 Corinthians 14.21, if anyone speaks in a tongue, be sure there is an interpretation, verse 27. Otherwise, a tongue speaker should be quiet in church, verse 29. Prophecy, on the other hand, is a sign of God's presence with believers, verse 22b. And so Paul encourages his, his use when unbelievers are present in order that they may see this sign and thereby come to Christian faith. That's verse 24 to 25. Therefore, Paul is not talking about the function of the gift of tongues in general, but only about the negative results of one particular abuse of tongue speech, namely its use without interpretation in public assembly. So do not permit an uninterpreted uh, tongue speech in church, for in doing so, you can run the risk of communicating a negative sign to people that will only drive them away. Number seven, there are objections that need to be addressed. One objection to the gift of tongues is that nothing is of spiritual value unless it passes through the cerebral cortex of the brain and can be cognitively understood. Any notion that the Holy Spirit might engage with the human spirit directly by passing our cognitive thought processes 
anathema to most evangelicals. If it is to be spiritually profitable, it must be intelligible. But there is a vast difference between necessity of intelligibility for the sake of the entire body of Christ on the one hand, and whether or not a Christian can be edified and blessed and built up spiritually while speaking in uninterpreted tongues privately on the other. Tongues in the corporate assembly must be intelligible or interpreted for the sake of others who are listening. Profound spiritual fruit is possible in the life of individual believer when he or she prays in tongues privately. When you pray in tongues in private, you are most certainly praising. The person who speaks in tongues is truly praying to God. Uh, in uh, First, uh, Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14, praising or worshiping God, verse 15b, and thanking God, verse 16, all the while his or her mind is unfruitful. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. By unfruitful, he means either I don't understand what I'm saying or other people don't understand what I'm saying or perhaps both. But Paul doesn't un uh, understand what he is praying or how he is giving thanks or in what manner he is worshiping. But praying, praising and giving thanks is most uh, uh, certainly taking place. And all this at the same time, he lacks cognitive awareness of what's happening. Many say, Paul's response to this mind being unfruitful should be to stop speaking in tongues altogether, shut it down, forbid it. But that isn't Paul's conclusion. No sooner does he say that his mind is unfruitful than he makes known his determined resolve. I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. We know that Paul is referring to praying and singing in tongues because in the next verse, he describes giving thanks with one spirit as unintelligible to those who may visit the church meeting. Paul was not afraid of a transrational experience. If people have been fearful of transrational experience, which by the way is far and away different from being irrational, will not his next step be to repudiate the use of tongues altogether or at minimum to warn us of his dangers. At the very least, we should expect Paul to say something to minimize his importance so as to render it trite, at least in comparison with other gifts. But he does no such thing. Paul asks a question. In view of what has just been said in verse 14, what is the outcome then? Uh, or what am I to do? This is in verse 15a. I know what many of you think you should do, but a stop to this ridiculous and useless practice of speaking in tongues. There's only one visible response, only one reasonable conclusion. I will neither speak in tongues again since my understanding is unfruitful, but that isn't what he says. The response is found in verse 15. There we read that he is determined to do both. I will pray with my spirit, I will pray in tongues, and I will pray with the mind also. I will pray in Greek or the language of the people so that others who speak and understand the language can profit from what I say. Clearly, Paul believed that the spiritual experience beyond the grasp of his mind, which is what I mean by transrational, was yet profoundly profitable. He believed that it wasn't absolutely necessary for an experience to be rationally cognitive for it to be spiritually beneficial and glorifying to God. Number eight about tongues. The eighth item about tongues. Uh, uh, 10 things about tongues is this. Paul preferred to exercise the gift of speaking in tongues in private. If Paul speaks in tongues more frequently and fervently than anyone else, yet in church almost never does, preferring there to speak in a way all can understand, where does he speak in tongues? 
in what contents would the affirmation of verse 18, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you, take shape? Clearly, Paul exercised his remarkable gift in private, in the context of his personal devotional intimacy with God. Again, the only grounds I can see for objecting to this scenario is the reluctance that many secessionists have for spiritual experiences that bypass our transcend the mind. Logical, reasonable, highly educated Paul prayed in tongues more than anyone else. Let's remember, this is the man who wrote Romans. This is a man whose incomparable mind and power of logical argumentation rendered helpless his theological opponents. This is a man who is shown to history as the greatest theologian outside of Jesus himself. This is the man who took on and took out the philosophers in Athens in Acts 17. Yes, logical, reasonable, highly educated Paul prayed in talks more than anyone. Paul not only believed in the spiritual value of praying in private and uninterpreted tongues, he also himself practiced it. In fact, he happily declares that he prays in private in uninterpreted and therefore unintelligible tongues more than all the tongue-happy Corinthians combined. Number 9 of uh, 10 things about tongues. Is it God's will that every Christian speak in tongues? Paul writes, now I want you all to speak in tongues. That's 1 Corinthians 14 verse 5 Those who say no appeal to 1 Corinthians 7 7, where Paul uses identical language to what is found in 14 5. With regard to this, to his own state of celibacy, Paul writes, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. No one will argue that Paul intends for all Christians to remain single as he is. His wish, therefore, should not be taken as the expression of an unqualified and universal desire. Surely then, we should not expect all to speak in tongues either. Secondly, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 7-11, tongues, like the other gifts mentioned, is bestowed to individuals as the Holy Spirit wills. If Paul meant that all were to experience this gift, why did he employ the terminology of to one is given, and to another, to another ATC. In other words, Paul seems to suggest that the Spirit's sovereignty differentiates among Christians and distributes one or more gifts to his pres- this person and yet to another, a different gift to this person and yet another gift to that one, and so on. Paul implies that not all have the gift, but don't imply that all cannot. And there is 1 Corinthians 12, 20 to 30, where Paul quite explicitly says that all do not speak with tongues any more than all are apostles or all are teachers or all have gifts of healings and so on. In Greek, there is a grammatical structure that is designed to elicit a negative response to the question being asked. Paul employs it in 1 Corinthians 12, 29-30. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have the gifts of feelings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Paul asks his question in such a way that he wants you to respond by saying no, of course not. But what about other texts where Paul uses I want or I wish terminology? 1 Corinthians 10, 1. 11 3 chapter 12 1 
The same Greek verb is used in this text that we find in 1 Corinthians 14.5. I want and I wish. And all of them, what the apostles want, uh, want applies equally and universally to every believer. Furthermore, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul tells us explicitly why his wish for universal celibacy cannot and should not be fulfilled. It is because each has his own gift from God. 1 Corinthians 7.7b but in 1 Corinthians 14, no such contextual clues are found that suggest Paul wish or desire for all to speak in tongues cannot be fulfilled. The potential for every believer is a believer to pray in tongues in private devotion exists. Some insist that 1 Corinthians 12, 7-11 and 12, chapter 12, 28-30 refer to the gift of tongues in public ministry, whereas 1 Corinthians 14, 5 is describing the gift in private devotion. In, 12, in chapter 12, verse 28, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, Paul specifically says he is describing what happens in the church or in the assembly. Not everyone is gifted by the Spirit to speak in tongues during the corporate gathering of the church, but the potential does exist for every believer to pray in tongues in private. The gift of tongues is the grace of tongues. Jack Hayford argues that the gift of tongues is limited in distribution. 1 Corinthians 12, 11-30 and his public exercise is to be closely governed, 1 Corinthians 14, 27-28. While the grace of tongues is so broadly available that Paul wishes that all enjoyed his blessing, 1 Corinthians 14, 5a, which includes distinctive communication with God, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, a define of believers' private life, 1 Corinthians 14, 4, and worship and thanksgiving with beauty and priority, 1 Corinthians propriety. 1 Corinthians 14, 15-17 The beauty of spiritual language The difference between these operations of the Holy Spirit is that not every Christian has reason to expect he or she will necessarily exercise the public gift. While any Christian may expect and welcome the private grace of spiritual language, it is his or her personal time of prayer fellowship with God. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 Praiseful worship before God, 1 Corinthians 14, 15, 17, and intercessive prayer to God, Romans 8, 26 to 27. Not every believer contributes to the body in the same way. Thus, according to Hayford, Paul's point at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that not every believer will contribute to the body in precisely the same way. Not everyone will minister a prophetic word, not everyone will teach, and so on. But whether or not everyone might pray privately in tongues is another matter not in Paul's poor view on the chapter 14. All are not prophets, are they? 1 Corinthians 12, 29. No, but Paul is quick to say that the potential exists for all to prophesy. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 and verse 31. Why could not the same be true for tongues? Couldn't Paul be saying that whereas all do not speak in tongues as an expression of corporate public ministry, it is possible that all may speak in tongues as an expression of private praise and prayer. Thus, as Paul rhetorically questions in 1 Corinthians 12 29, is not designed to rule out the possibility that all may utter a prophetic word. So, also, his rhetorical question in 1 Corinthians 12 30 is not designed to exclude anyone from exercising tongues in their private devotional experience. Then, the final uh, item on the issue of tongues is number 10 is tongue speech and a static experience the new testament never uses this term to describe speaking in tongues many define ecstatic as a mental or emotional state 
in which the person is more or less oblivious to the external world. The individual is perceived as losing self-control, perhaps lapsing into a frenzied condition in which self-consciousness and the power for rational thinking are eclipsed. There is no indication anywhere in the Bible that people who speak in tongues lose self-control or become unaware of their surroundings. Paul insists that the ones speaking in tongues can start and stop at will. 1 Corinthians 14, 15 to 17, 1 Corinthians 14, 27, 28, 1 Corinthians 14, 40, and 1 Corinthians 14, 32. There's a vast difference between an experience being ecstatic and it being emotional. Tongues are often highly emotional and exhilarating, bringing peace, joy, etc. But that does not mean it's ecstatic. Baptism in the Holy Spirit plus activation prayer. So having ended the 10 things about tongues, we want to activate the baptism. Baptism of the Holy Spirit and activation prayers. The missing person. So we want to lay some foundations here. The missing person, the Holy Spirit. Many people may have had an experience like that of little girl who heard the Holy Ghost. As the Holy Spirit is sometimes called, mentioned in church from time to time. But so vaguely, and infrequently, she could only guess what sort of ghost this might be. So one day, when she ventured down into the dark furnace room in the church cellar, she decided with a child's firm logic that there is a spooky place, but this spooky place must be where the Holy Ghost locks. The fact is, adult believers often ask as if the Holy Spirit really was hiding in the church cellar. They may know something about the Holy Spirit, but they don't know Him personally to or realize that He is God. In the same way, the Son and the Father are God. When they read the Bible, many people are surprised to find that the Holy Spirit was at this very dawn of time. The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of waters in Genesis chapter 1, verse 12, and many are amazed to find out there are approximately 100 references to the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, throughout the Old and the New Testament. Nevertheless, the Spirit's role is fun fundamental both to creation and the life of the believer. When a person comes to Jesus, he receives Christ into his heart. The Spirit of God comes and joins with the spirit of the believer. This indwelling spirit repro reproduces the life of Jesus in believer's life. What then is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? The baptism in the Holy Spirit is an empowering for service that takes place in the life of the Christian. Acts chapter 1 verse 5 and 8. In it, we are immersed in the Spirit's life and power. To illustrate, if we drank water from a glass, then the water would be inside us. However, if we went to the beach and stepped into the ocean, then we would be in the water. We receive, as it were, a drink of the Holy Spirit when we are saved. But when we are baptized, the Spirit is as if that initial drink becomes an ocean that completely surrounds us. Just as the indwelling Spirit, the Christian receives when they, saved, they are saved, produces the life of Jesus, so the outpoured or baptizing spirit reproduces the ministry of Jesus, including miracles and healings. Why do we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit? We need a power beyond ourselves for service and ministry in Christ's kingdom. When Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19-20, he knew that his disciples could not fulfill it in their own power. Therefore, he had a special gift in store for them. It was his plan to give them the same power that he had, the power of the Spirit of God. So immediately after giving them the Great Commission, Jesus commanded his disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father promised, which he said, 
you heard of, of from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Acts chapter 1 verse 4 to 5. If for that promise, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The disciples wanted the disciples waited in Jerusalem as Jesus had commanded. And one day, when they were all together, suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4. Then Peter explained to the crowd that gathered that they were seeing the working of God's Spirit and told them about Jesus. The Christian church began that day with the disciples and the 3,000 people who joined them as a result of the day's event. We can, under, we can undertake making disciples of all nations with some degree of success without baptism in the Holy Spirit. But when we do, we are undertaking a supernatural task with limited, uh, with limited power. It is God's will. It is His commandment that will be baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. The knowledge and the reality of empowering Spirit enables us to reproduce the work of Jesus. When may I receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? It can take place at the moment you confess faith in Christ, as in the case of first gentile convert Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 44-46 and Acts 11.15-16. But often it occurs some time after the salvation experience in Acts 8, 12 to 17. Next question. Is there anything to fear? Some people fear that if they ask for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, what they experience won't be the authentic working of the Spirit. But once they do ask for it, they are always glad they did. And God doesn't cause us to do anything we don't want to. And all his gifts are good and perfect. James chapter 1, 17. Jesus said, Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will be, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your children, your heavenly father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Luke chapter 11. 11 to 13. The baptism baptism in the Holy Spirit is an even bigger, better gift than any material gift you could receive. And God wants you to have it because He loves you and wants the very best for you. So what should I do before asking? The Bible says that a wise man counts the cost before he begins to build a tower in Luke chapter 14, 28. This beautiful experience of baptism in the Holy Spirit is a free gift, but you must be willing to submit fully to God to receive it. Jesus will respond to a totally yielded vessel. He never asks anything of you that you are incapable of giving. Nor does he ever fail to give you something greater in return when you do give your all. The joy he gives through total obedience to him far outweighs anything you could possibly give him. There is one more important consideration. In Acts chapter 8, a man named Simeon, deeply involved in the occult, wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter sharply rebuked Simon, commanding him to repent. Therefore, if you ever at any time had anything to do with the occult, OG boards, 
fortune tellers, sciences, horoscope, ESP, transcendental mediation, med, med, hypnotism, or other such practices, you must renounce and turn away from all such sinful participation, and you must ask for God's forgiveness and cleansing. So, how do I receive baptism in the Holy Spirit? You only have to do two things. First, once you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you just have to ask God to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, ask and it shall be given to you. That's Luke chapter 11 verse 9. Second, believe you have in faith received this gift from God. The Apostle Paul writing to the Galatians said, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Galatians chapter 3 verse 2. The answer obviously is faith. You have to believe that if you ask, you will receive. So, let's take the prayer. Pray this prayer if you sincerely desire to receive baptism in God's Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, you repeat after me. At this moment, I come to you. I thank you that Jesus saved me. I pray that the Holy Spirit might come upon me. Lord Jesus, baptize me now in the Holy Spirit. I receive baptism in the Holy Spirit right now by faith in your word. May the anointing, the glory, and the power of God come upon me and into my life right now. May I be empowered for service from this day forward. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for, for, Jesus, for baptizing me in your Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, having asked and received, begin to practice the power of the Spirit. And at this place to begin is where the first apostles did, praising God in a new language. To do this, begin praising God out loud and whatever words come to you. Tell him how much you love him. Thank him, worship him, and yield your voice to him. Now let him give you new words of praise you never heard before. Praise him with those words too. You'll find that this can be a very rewarding experience of communion with God that will build up your faith. Continue to pray to God every day in the language that the Holy Spirit has given you. But this praying prayer language is just one of the gifts that God wants to give you through the baptism in His Spirit, the gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians that the Holy Spirit would manifest Himself among them in special gifts of which speaking in tongues was only one. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, and to another the distribution of Spirit, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. 1 Corinthians 12, 1-8-10 Paul also wrote that the Holy Spirit produces fruit in the lives of believers. These are virtues that demonstrate Jesus' righteousness in the life of his disciples. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can take that up in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. So in asking for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you are availing yourself of this gift for advancing God's kingdom and allowing the Holy Spirit to further cultivate in your life the fruit of righteousness. Two great helps in living a life God can use mightily for His glory. That's the way it is with God. God is offering the baptism in the Holy Spirit to people who need only to reach out and receive it in order to be on fire to fully serve Him. Walking in the Spirit. By now you can see that the Holy Spirit is so much more than a shadowy figure to pay lip service to on Sunday morning. He can be with you and in, your, in you to bring new life to your Christian work. 
Likewise, baptism in the Holy Spirit is more than a single experience. It is a continual dependence on the Spirit for guidance and strength in all circumstances. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 verse 28. The baptism in the Holy Spirit cannot be earned. You cannot become good enough to receive it. It is a gift from God. It is not a cure-all for your problems, but the same wonderful power that enables Jesus to open blind eyes, to command the elements of nature, and to live a life pleasing to the Father during His ministry on earth is also available to you. Ask, and it shall be given you. So you can find our books on uh, uh, the content guide for Takada 2020 by going to our website. You can also find my titles uh, on Amazon, Monday Ogwacho Ogwe, or you can get it on the Takada shop. And you've got all the questions there uh, on the site on uh, what the Holy Spirit question and answers on the Holy Spirit based on questions that people are asking on uh, in cyberspace. I hope that you are, you're blessed by this. And so, Father God Almighty, so again, experience all around success this week and beyond as you are led by the closest friend, the Holy Spirit. So, Father God Almighty, I thank you, Lord, for the word that has gone out. I decree and declare, so shall my word be, says the word, that it goes out. It shall come back to me with a testimony. It shall come back with a testimony that starts prosper. In the things for which it's been sent. We send this word out. We declare that let it prosper. Let it come back with testimony. Let lives be transformed. Let people be, bat- people be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Cause them to begin to manifest in the power and the glory of the Holy Spirit in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Thank you Lord for answer prayer. To you be all the praise and all the glory. Holy Spirit, take charge of us. Take charge of them. Take charge of our actions. Cause it to be fruitful. To you, Lord God, in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.